This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, The Elements, Love, Truth, Knowledge, Inspiration, and the poet is Quincy Smith, and Quincy joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Quincy. Good morning, and hello, Steve. Thanks for having me. How you doing? Looking forward to hearing some of your poetry. Uh, I want to read a couple of things that you've written about your book. You say this, In a time of hope and faith, my book is the ultimate spoken word that gives all readers inspiration. When the economy says there's no hope, the elements meets the consumer's need for love, truth, knowledge, inspiration. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Quincy, and we'll uh, then I'm real curious about why you titled your book The Element. So let's start with a little bit about you. Okay. Well, Steve, uh, basically, um, I've been in various uh, independent film projects. You know, I have a background in film and a little bit in music. Um, Been writing for a long time. I actually started um, with my creative writing uh, career, actually, at Cal State Long Beach. Um, took some courses, you know, I got my BA there, and from there I was inspired by um, <clears throat> one of my professors, actually it was two professors, um, Cal State Long Beach had an awesome program there, and a professor by the name of Rafael Zapata actually um, saw my work, and I was just learning how to do haiku um, <laughs> poems and things of that nature for us, the structure. So pretty much um, it developed there, and I was doing short stories and things of that nature, as I learned as under um, Stefan uh, Cooper, who had an um, awesome, awesome um, creative writing background from UC Irvine and also USC. Actually, um, <clears throat> from there is where I developed my background, creative writing, screenplays, and things of that nature. So poetry was uh, mostly uh, an area where I got to really develop my poems, and actually um, I started performing at my first performance at uh, there at Cal State Long Beach. Uh, it's called the Poets Lounge, and uh, we had a band one night. We do open mic, and pretty much from there, I just uh, you know developed. So I started going around Hollywood, and you know <clears throat> practicing my craft, my craft actually uh, at uh, coffee houses. Uh, you know, open mic performances around Southern California. Um, pretty much, I had authors like uh, Langston Hughes and uh, Ralph Ellison <clears throat> that actually inspired me as uh, African American um, literature writers and poets. They uh, pretty much, you know, inspired me to write a book and start started this collection because, as you know, the the professors I mentioned had uh, various collections, and I was seeking to put together things that I thought that inspired. <clears throat> me and I wanted to do that same effect and um, going global. So from education uh, point of view, I pretty much took those skills. I continued as a young writer, and then as I got older, out of college, I continued that craft. I started performing. <clears throat> 
I actually produced a CD called Poetry in Motion, and that CD is something that I'm <clears throat> I'm remixing, and I have a uh, actually a film coming on. It's called The Gift. It's a documentary film, which I want to um, pretty much bring it global and put poetry and spoken word on the map. Um, you've seen the Def Jams. You've seen a lot of stuff in the past, but I'm coming with a powerful poem that touched people. Now, <clears throat> it is significant, and you mentioned <clears throat> the ultimate. And when I say ultimate, being able to touch people um, <clears throat> in a positive way, bringing, pro uh, you know, um, you have a lot of hip-hop and things of that nature, a lot of things in the media and, and that pretty much downplay as far as the spoken word, as far as the negative image. So I, I put everything together, and I call it my pot of gumbo because it's a mixture of everything. So <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> I like it. to share that. You know, I, I, I like to pretty much say that um, from film and music and with the collection, it's just it's just all in me, you know, and it's just been pushed out. And at this time, you know, I've worked in corporations, you know, some of the major corporations, um, tele telecommunications. So my craft for is communicating verbally in the spoken word, you know, in the atmosphere. I took it and put it all together and started developing this book. Now to do it independent, as you know, it's something hard, you know, it took 10 years to, to craft. So I have a library, so you can imagine from college, from 96 to, to now, I've been developing that same craft and taking that gift and um, just going worldwide with it to, um, you know, educate, you know, college students. Hey, you know, if you have a dream, don't give up. Basically, take what you have, whatever your passion is, continue and don't give up, you know. And, you know, good things happen. You'll be able to, you know, be in the spotlight and shine and, um, you know, bring a positive message where people can say, you know what, I can be in a place where I don't have a job or I have a job and I don't like it, but I went to school for this. You know, you never um, downplay what you was um, born on earth and what God bless you with, whatever gift the talent. And just don't throw it away and just work at a, a job that you like, oh, I, you, you like, you punch in from, from time to time. And, and nowadays, you know, the economy's changed, you know. Pretty much um, you have people, you know, who's right now, you know, this big thing in L.A., you know, in New York to occupy Wall Street. I pretty much, um, you know, I, I feel that if they can do that and have a voice, hey, at the same time, you can have a voice and, and, and have that entrepreneur spirit and create your own employment. Go out there and do things. And you're seeing people popping up doing things with the entrepreneur spirit. So along with, with this poetry, I have an entrepreneur spirit that actually led me far as, you know, selling books, tapes, and things of that nature and, and utilizing what I learned from the um, higher, higher learning <clears throat> educational atmosphere. I've worked with, uh, uh, you know, teens and things of that nature far as, getting them a positive message and being a mentor. So I have a background of working also with nonprofit organizations and being able to, to communicate on a level where, you know, inspire kids to get back in school and whatnot. And, hey, if you have a gift, if it's writing or whatever it may be, you know, you can utilize that and, 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 and bring a decent um, uh, self of uh, inspiration to yourself and, and those that you inspire around you. So... That's pretty much, and, and also, Steve, I wanted to put emphasis on a lot of my poems are, are like characters because I have a background in uh, creative writing. I utilize <clears throat> things where the protagonist is, is pretty much the hero. 
you know, you, you pretty much are the person that's seeking a goal, and that's whatever that you may be trying to accomplish in life. The antagonist is pretty much the um, excuse me, it's that you know someone or something that attempts to stop you from achieving that goal. So it's kind of like plots and themes and a lot of things that goes on, and I utilize these as metaphors to to build and to people understand when they're reading poetry <coughs> that you can. Speak, but speak in a way where, hey, you have a positive message at the end, but also you're painting pictures. It's just like a movie. You know, it's like lights, camera, action. You're going forth and, and you, you're providing something that's for your, your audience to grasp on, and, and it's an attention grabber. So that's pretty much my background. Uh, well, great. I'm so excited. Well, and, why don't you share one of your poems with us, Quincy? I think it's a good time to just do that. Okay. Absolutely, Steve. This first poem, you know what, is called To Love, Cherish, and, and, and Honor. And I wrote this poem basically as, it's, it's explaining whoever's in marriages and those who are seeking marriage <clears throat> to basically to love, cherish, and honor. You know, with this economy, continue to work out your differences. Don't give up. Don't, you know, look at your situation. Here it is. Look what the wind blew in from the mountains to the bottom lakes, a gift with potential credentials to make a man eternally happy for life. If the rocks could speak, they would say she's definitely a dime piece, a queen, a princess chosen as my soulmate. Soft music and melody wait next to the hills. Truth witness the journey to the land of perfection. Butterflies maintain focus. Embrace the perfect flower, ponder. Imagine this love boat never ending. A cruise into the sunset watching the horizon like lovebirds sharing their dreams a winning team building trust in the key a championship in the future for dynasty and destiny it's a new year a new beginning my thoughts expand like the surface of the earth once known as a notorious mac selling a change of game on this given day i gave birth to a wife a marriage and a family romance driven candlelit dinners given every day it's a proposal, back rubs and sweet candy. Who would ever thought a ladies' man wouldn't fly, catch a flight out of town to high heights? I dwell in a place from temptations beyond the clouds in a zone where love and paradise embrace. I exceed the expectations on earth. Truth is unconditioned and hard work. Well, it's no secret that true love finds rest in green pastures. The game of love takes two to balance and produce a perfect picture. One team, a family fabulous unit devotion one motion to love cherish and honor why did you choose to call your book the elements i chose the book basically it's the core ingredients that focus directly to society and the issues um we're dealing with love a lot of people <clears throat> deal with these common issues on an everyday basis we have to have love. I mean, we know that God is love, according to John 3.16. But at the same time, people need to have truth, you know, have knowledge. You know, you get knowledge from college. But integrity and truth is being real and basically speaking those things that's, that's close to your heart. And, you know, inspiration, everybody loves an inspiration that basically tells people, hey, there's hope. And there's faith. Keep both. And you know what? At the end of the day, 
with hard work and determination, your dreams can come true. You know, a lot of dreams and visions are built within, and people don't understand that a lot of times we're born with this entrepreneur spirit. So whatever it is that you're seeking for or goal, you know, reach out for the stars and, and, and continue to, to seek that. And, and that's the main, re- main reason why I, I created this title, is the elements is, is beautiful and, and it, it, it speaks in a time that people, you know, can actually grab them and touch them. They can relate in so many ways. Why don't you share another poem with us, Quincy? Sure. I, I got this other poem. It's called Every Day is Mother's Day. As you may know, uh, we all are born through a mother, and, you know, I, I actually dedicate this mother to my, this poem and this book to my mother for the simple fact, you know, being the only male in my family. So here it goes. Dear Mama, hold your tears for a minute while your only son testify. Today's a day of appreciation to a pastor, a queen, to a wife, to a mother. Every day is the holiday. Words can't express all the love deep within. There's so much I want to say. You're the rose that grew in my life because of I blossom. The sky's the limit. Marcianne, I love you. Every year you made Christmas when you didn't have money. You had faith in return. The miracles never were late. You made a point. The reason for Christmas is Jesus. You trusted God in the idea that faith moved mountains. Over the years, I had to learn the definition. Now my understanding is revelation. I love the way you cook breakfast. Your expertise, bacon and eggs. Sunday dinners were delicious. Meatloaf, steak with mashed potatoes and gravy, macaroni and cheese, broccoli, string beans and cornbread. No one does it better after day, day after day. When I was sick, you prayed for me, and you nursed me back to health. When I needed a coach, you embraced me with love. You wear many hats as a mother and a father. You did the best you can, raising a black man. You kept me in sports to keep me from negativity. Because of your prayers, you saved me from the penitentiary. You taught me simple principles to be successful. You said the birds don't run with the bees and the dogs don't run with the cats. But meaning, associate with people who reach for the stars. And I reach for those stars because of you. Happy Mother's Day. Mama. I'm sure she loves it. Absolutely, Steve. Absolutely. Um, I have one more poem, and um, yeah, we've got time for just one more. One more, and I, I chose this one, and it's called um, "My Last Words Until We Meet in Paradise." And this is basically a poem written for all the soldiers that you know, someone who lost a loved one in the war, you know. And um, I was inspired to encourage people to, hey, one day you'll meet that loved one in paradise. I need a place to unwind, a place to spend my last days. Quiet nights to pray in time of war. No one knows my fear or my struggles. I'm only 19, just being deployed. My mentality is set for war, so my emotions won't release. Tears because inside my emotion lies a cold heart frozen. I got a birthday coming up in a few days, but don't celebrate. It won't be necessary. I probably won't live to see it. My soul tells me there's a place called heaven where no war resides, a place where no jealousy dwells, where no tears are shed. 
just the perfect place of peace, love, and harmony in the presence of Jehovah. My last words to family and friends, just because I'm a U.S. soldier doesn't mean I can't cry. I know the reality if I leave to fight for my country. I know there's no return to the place I called home, but if I die, I hope it's for a cause. I have faith. I see all of you in heaven. Don't worry. I'll be looking down, pouring blessings like raindrops. So until then, watch for terrorism and keep your eyes toward the sky. My mission is to fight for peace against evil and devils. My last words until we meet in paradise. The title of the book, The Elements, Love, Truth, Knowledge, Inspiration. And the poet is Quincy Smith. Quincy, tell us how to get your book. Steve, there's a variety of ways. First, you can go to Barnes & Nobles. You can go in the store. You can go on the website. You can also go to the publisher, AuthorHouse.com, or you can go to my website at CQEntertainment.com. That's www.CQEntertainment.com. And, you know, it, it is affordable when you go online. I have a discount on my personal website. But also, you know, when people do purchase a book, you know, it would be something that's unique. I am doing a book tour and, and going worldwide to sign this. But also, I want everyone to look forward for the, the, the documentary film that will be coming out next year um, that's tied to the book. It's called The Gift, Spoken Word. Thank you, Steve, for having me. Well, thank, thank you, you Quincy. Thank you for being with us on Author Talk. All right. Likewise. Have a good one. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Show me the money! Okay, we will. We're going to teach you how to tell your money where to go. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Learn how to be a savvy investor from someone who has your best interest at heart. Pam Otten is a financial advisor who loves to help successful business owners and entrepreneurs understand the mysteries of the investment world. And she's not afraid to share that knowledge. Pam is an unashamed Christian and qualified kingdom advisor, which means she's trained and committed to integrating biblical principles into her financial advice. Pam believes investing isn't rocket science. This is the financial advisor who's in your corner and truly understands and cares about you and helping you achieve your goals. Securities and advisory services are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. It's time to get your boots on with the boot campaign with hosts Megan Roth and Bailey Gray Thursdays at noon 1 central on toginet.com sponsored by Austin Bank the whole point of the boot campaign is to continue the true grassroots initiative developed by a group of patriotic women known as the boot girls inspired by the true story of Marcus Luttrell the lone survivor the boot girls got started with celebrities but want every American to get your boots on by purchasing a pair of the give back combat boots the campaign's motto is simple when they come back we give back for more on the boot campaign, go to the website, bootcampaign.com. The Boot Campaign Get Your Boots On show will feature discussions on current events impacting the lives of active duty and retired military, interviews with our nation's war heroes, medical professionals, and celebrities who have put their boots on. Do your part and join us for the Boot Campaign Get Your Boots On show with Megan Roth and Bailey Gray, Thursdays at noon, 1 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, The Post-LSD Syndrome, 
Diagnosis and treatment forgotten but not gone, chronic effects of LSD. And the author is Dr. Edwin I. Roth, and Dr. Roth joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Dr. Roth. Hello. Great to have you with us. This is a kind of a scary thought that so many decades later, people who had taken LSD only once could have could have such dramatic effects on them. We'll get into the details. I just want to read a couple things that you've written about your book. You say, I want to bring attention to a generally unrecognized condition which results in a serious, at times severe, dysfunction in people who have experienced LSD previously. I have termed this condition the post-LSD syndrome. The bad news is there is a severe condition which can occur as a result of even a single exposure to LSD decades after the exposure. The good news is that it can be relatively easily treated. Well, doctor, first of all, tell us about your background and then why you wrote the book. Well, my background is uh, that I started out in pediatrics and uh, I served in the Air Force during the Cuban Missile Crisis in SAC uh, as a pediatrician. But uh, I had a plan to get psychiatric training, and I uh, did get uh, my psychiatric training and uh, child psychiatric training in Cleveland, um, graduated from the programs, and became director of the Child Psychiatry Outpatient Department at University Hospitals of Cleveland for a number of years. Um, I went on to psychoanalytic training and completed my psychoanalytic training in Cleveland in adult psychoanalysis as well as in child psychoanalysis. And uh, my focus uh, through my career has been both uh, in academics and teaching, where I've taught um, uh, at the university and run the program and continued as a supervisor and also uh, was involved in the um, training faculty at um, the Cleveland Psychoanalytic Institute until I uh, moved out to California. But my focus has been uh, clinical practice. I've always enjoyed treating patients both in pediatrics and in psychiatry and psychoanalysis, and I've had a very active um, clinical practice in adult and child uh, psychiatry and psychoanalysis through the years, and I continue to practice today uh, in a limited way. I've also done a lot of consulting through the years at uh, various agencies, um, and in the consulting that I've done out here since I moved to California, uh, I have come in contact with uh, a different group of patients than I had seen in Cleveland and became aware of this condition through my contact with those patients. Out here in California, I've consulted to um, Riverside County Mental Health uh, Program and to the uh, state mental health program in the prison system at Chuckawalla. More recently, I've also taken over um, 
the psychiatric duties at a partial inpatient psychiatric program uh, out here in Indio, California, where we have 15-bed inpatient unit. And in these uh, facilities uh, and in my private practice in California, in the last 15 years, I've had increasing contact with patients who... um, have had this contact with LSD and suffer the um, severe consequences of it. Well, when we think of the word LSD, we remember back in the 60s, of course, we remember Dr. Timothy Leary. We think of uh, uh, also Allen Ginsberg and others who really promoted it like it was the best thing to do. Yeah, I have a chapter in the book about the history of um, LSD, and it goes back to uh, Albert Hoffman, who uh, synthesized it, working in uh, Sandoz Laboratories in Switzerland. And uh, I describe his bad experience with LSD and then his remarkable transformation and uh, uh, ability to um, deny the uh, pathology that the LSD caused and uh, he became um, an active advocate of LSD and got uh, Huxley and Leary and many others to support the use of the drug and it achieved enormous popular support back in the 60s. Uh, fortunately, the psychiatric literature and the public press publicized the dangers and uh, the drug lost a lot of its popularity back then, but unfortunately in the last 10 years there's been um, a resurgence of the use of LSD. And once again, people are uh, getting into trouble because of it. Tell us the symptoms of this syndrome. Well, the syndrome is um, uh, a, a chronic effect of having had... Um, exposure to LSD. That is, I think it's a prolonged effect of LSD in the brain. That's different than the acute toxicity um, that comes when people use it and suddenly become very severely and acutely ill with it. Um, The long-term symptoms are really remarkable. Um, I I, um, categorize them um, as a triad a group of three um, groups of symptoms. Uh, The major symptom is uh, a sleep disturbance. There's a very remarkable severe sleep disturbance, which is the main symptom that most people come uh, for help about. And the sleep disturbance uh, consists of very severe insomnia, racing thoughts, which are particularly severe at uh, night, and a very unique um, uh, uh, kind of a nightmare. The nightmares are extremely severe. They're very unusual. They're vivid. They're intense. They're horrible. They're bizarre. And the patients often awake from them very disoriented, terrified, and uh, have difficulty in... um, reorienting and when they do get reoriented they're very relieved that they're not actually living the nightmare the nightmares uh, are very common in this condition and you don't see them in any other condition uh, except for a severe 
delirium or a severe psychotic state. So I think when people have these nightmares, what I found is that it's really uh, pathognomonic uh, of the condition. That means that you have the condition uh, because of uh, this particular symptom. Some people are able to suppress the nightmares by not sleeping. They abort the nightmares by awakening. Some people experience the nightmares only occasionally. But most people uh, with this condition do have the nightmares. That's the most uh, prominent symptom for which people present. Another very important symptom is the anxiety. The anxiety is extreme. It's severe. It's not the more common kind of neurotic anxiety uh, that people experience. It is a very intense anxiety that almost demands that something be done to try to uh, attenuate it. Many people are driven to addiction in order to try to relieve the anxiety. Um, when, people, when you say anxiety, is there a, you're anxious about what, or about nothing? You're just well, anxious? That's, that's right. There's just a severe anxiety. They just feel terribly anxious. Often they don't know why. They seek for reasons to be anxious. They kind of come up with some things to think about or worry about, but it's really uh, an exaggerated, driven anxiety that goes beyond the norm. Um, an author, Eveloff, who was writing about LSD back in the 60s, coined the term LSD anxiety because of the very severe anxiety that people would experience when they were acutely intoxicated with the um, LSD. And it's an anxiety of this sort. Uh, one of the clues I got as to the cause of this condition was that a number of my patients early on told me that when they had this extreme anxiety, they were reminded of how they felt when they used LSD decades previously. And it was kind of a re-experiencing of that terrible anxiety that they had at that time. The anxiety is so severe that some people feel they're having a heart attack or think it'll cause a heart attack and actually go to the emergency rooms. I've had a number of patients who were hospitalized on an intensive care unit for observation for coronaries because uh, of the severe anxiety. The anxiety, on the other hand, does not cause any kind of physical illness. Well, this sounds obviously uh, very disturbing. Uh, it's uh, very complex, but you say it can be easily treated. The remarkable thing is that when uh, uh, I discovered this condition and I began to recognize uh, the pattern that patients were showing me and linked it to LSD, it reminded me of a patient that I had treated, who I describe in the book about 25, 30 years ago now, who had a similar condition. And I thought he had taken some LSD. Uh, and I treated him for that, and it cleared up the condition. So I treat uh, these people uh, for that condition, and they have had absolutely phenomenal results. The most wonderful, remarkable thing is that within a day or two, they have wonderful relief from some of the worst symptoms. 
There is a third group of symptoms that I didn't mention that are more subtle. They have to do with what I call mental instability. It has to do with interference with uh, clarity of thought, cognitive functioning, as well as um, uh, emotional lability and fragility where people can handle stress, they become tearful easily, uh, they become angry, they have surges of anger. And those uh, symptoms of the emotional ability will gradually improve uh, over a period of time, starting within perhaps a couple of weeks of the initiation of treatment and taking up to several months to clear up. But the wonderful thing is that with treatment, uh, there is a complete relief of all symptoms. The patients go into uh, total remission, and it's quite wonderful, and they feel wonderful, uh, so that you can't even recognize what they had been like formerly. There's no, no um, evidence of the condition. Do patients have to be uh, retreated, or do they have to be treated on a regular basis? Yes. Uh, my experience with this is limited. I've you know, just come to the recognition of this condition very recently, and I have some you know, significant experience with it. But the, I have not seen people be cured of the condition. What I've seen is a remarkable improvement with very low dose of medicine, but I've seen patients require some medication for prolonged periods of time for years. And if they stop the medicine suddenly, or if they reduce the medicine too much, the symptoms will return. So it looks as though the LSD is very difficult to uh, clear out of the brain. So it's done some kind of, of it. it's done but, some kind of damage, maybe even physical damage. Oh, no, this is a, a physical condition. This is not a psychological condition. This absolutely is a physical condition, and the medication is required to remove the uh, chemical effect. And once that's removed, the brain returns to normal, the mind then can return to normal, and people do very well. I guess that's why they call LSD acid. <laughs> It's not, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's strange when people do these type of things and get other people to do them, and then decades later, here people are suffering. Uh, doctor, uh, give us some closing thoughts. Well, I uh, hope that doctors uh, can recognize this condition. Uh, I've seen about 400 patients thus far. None of them have been diagnosed properly. None of them have been treated properly previously. So I hope that doctors will recognize this condition and treat people uh, appropriately. I hope patients can recognize this in themselves and help their doctors, even the family doctors, to get them the proper medication uh, and, um, and can resume normal lives. When they have this condition, they really can't function normally. And in the book, I describe how... Uh, the patients have really suffered terribly, and their lives and their families have suffered for years because of the influence of the LSD and how they're able to return to normal with proper recognition and medication. The title of the book, The Post-LSD Syndrome. 
Diagnosis and treatment. Forgotten but not gone. Chronic effects of LSD. And the author is Dr. Edwin I. Roth. Dr. Roth, tell us how to get your book. Um, you can get it through my website. My website is my name, edwinrothmd.com. Uh, and the website will connect to uh, Author House, who's the publisher. And you can get the book in uh, the paperback or in the ebook. Thank you, Dr. Roth. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Information is power, the power to change your life. So be here for Education to Excellence. Some of the most valuable information you may ever receive will be shared with you 7 p.m. Eastern every Tuesday night with Education to Excellence with your host, Bruce Beichman. You'll benefit from insightful shows featuring guests that are proven experts in their field. Little-known facts on how to improve your health by making one very simple change in your morning routine. If you're a high school graduate or working adult and a bachelor's, master's, or doctorate degree from an accredited college would change your life, you won't want to miss this. Education to excellence. Shift your career into high gear without ever attending a traditional college class. Learn investment strategies from proven experts who have a track record of helping normal individuals build abnormal wealth. Check out their website, education2excellence.com. Then join us for the show, Education to Excellence, with your host, Bruce Beichman. Tuesday nights at 7 Eastern, 4 Pacific on toginet.com. Fertility. It's an extremely personal subject. Tune in Monday nights at 9, 8 Central for the Fertility Forum with infertility psychotherapist and expert Phyllis Martin on toginet.com. This is the show about infertility, gaining support, and information. Phyllis will assist you in navigating the disappointments and decisions that often accompany the difficult journey from diagnosis to conception, pregnancy to parenthood. She is passionate about her work and is an expert in the donor egg field, bringing both her personal and professional experience to all she does. Ms. Martin has extensive experience in helping patients cope with infertility, pregnancy loss, adoption, surrogacy, miscarriage, pregnancy termination, and creative family building. She knows what you're going through, and she's here to help. It's the Fertility Forum with your host, Phyllis Martin, Monday nights at 9, 8 Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Steps of Courage, My Parents' Journey from Nazi Germany to America, and the author is Bettina Herlin, and Bettina joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Bettina. Good morning. Good morning. Good to have you with us. Uh, Everyone's going to enjoy this peek into your book. Uh, This is very comprehensive about your parents uh, fleeing Germany, Nazi Germany, and of course, arriving in America and having to deal with some uh, dramatic, traumatic experiences here. But let me read what you've written as an overview of your book. This love story revolving around two extraordinary individuals, plays out against some of the most profound markers of the 20th century. Hitler's Germany, the American immigrant experience, and growing threats of the nuclear age. Bettina, tell us 
why you decided to publish this book, because this is more, and that may be the reason, this is more than just a biography about two regular folks, your parents. I mean, they had some incredible experiences. Yeah, it's hard to think of my parents as regular folks. I think they were quite extraordinary in terms of, of their courage. And their courage was very much having to deal with some of the major historical events of the 20th century. The rise of Hitler, then coming to America and being regarded as other, as, as enemy aliens, uh, having to go through the McCarthy period, and then my father, who was a physicist, ending up in Los Alamos, the atomic city, uh, where he was dealing with nuclear, the threat of nuclear wars, really. So my parents were very much shaped by history, and yet they were able, in terms of confronting that history, to develop some remarkable um, stories in terms of how they confronted that history. Now, you find this old suitcase, and there are <laughs> love letters in it. Tell us how many love letters and what the experience was for you reading them. Well, when my parents died, my sisters and I, we essentially divided up what was in the household, and uh, there was a small leather suitcase with my father's initials on it, and actually these were my half-sisters. I was the only uh, biological child of my father's, and so they said, well, of course, this belongs to you, and uh, so, you know, and we kept on going on. So it, it ended up in my basement, and when we when my husband and I moved a few years ago, I mean, we moved two miles um, from one house to another, um, I was going through things. I opened this suitcase, and here were all these wonderfully neatly tied bundles of letters and blue ribbon. It was so sweet. And I undid the blue ribbon of one of them, and I realized these were love letters between my parents that were written from 1934 to 1938. Those were the years of their courtship in Germany. And they were, of course, written in German, and they were written in something called German Schrift, which is this very Gothic, incredibly sort of um, old-fashioned way of writing German. So in order to translate them, I had to both brush up on my German and learn this very um, antiquated way of light writing to be able to decipher that. So there were about 500 <laughs> love letters that I translated, and it was like a call saying, hey, pay attention to this. Look what happened during this time when Hitler was on the rise, and there was this very passionate love affair happening between the two of them which turned out to be a forbidden love in the sense that my mother was Jewish and my father was Aryan. And according to Hitler's racist laws, they could not have a relationship, much less a romance, much less a marriage. So, and they were over, able to overcome all of that. So how did the marriage happen then? Uh, you put it in uh, a form of even shocking that they were able to do this. 
Well, I consulted with a lot of historians, and I said, hey, you know, in 1938, my mother, who was Jewish by background, married my father, who was an Aryan in Germany, in Berlin. And people said, I can't be, can't be, uh, unprecedented. So then I would show them the marriage certificate and the printed form, which states in print, this is not a marriage between an Aryan and a non-Aryan, had been crossed out. And in the margin, in handwriting, it, had, it said, by special permission of the Führer, and we all know who the Führer yes. is, Hitler, um, this marriage is permitted. Uh, and how that happened was it was a very long process in which um, they got the help they got help from a good Nazi. Those may be a contradiction in terms, but in this case, <laughs> in this case. there indeed was a good Nazi yes. who was the adjutant to Hitler. He was Hitler's personal adjutant. And so really under Hitler's nose, he negotiated this very complicated bureaucratic system that gave permission for my parents to marry. Now, before we find out how they met, which I think uh, we need to talk about, tell us, first of all, tell us about your mom, uh, what she was doing, how, how she lived before meeting your father, and then, of course, your father. And, and boy, they, they walked to, uh, down two different roads, didn't they? They were very different, and uh, it's, it's always remarkable to me that they found each other and that they, in fact, um, did fall in love in spite of these differences. My father, um, who do you want me to start That's with? That's fine. That's yeah, fine. Sure. Dad, talk about Dad. Okay, Dad. <laughs> uh, my father was this very handsome mountaineer. He was a hero in Germany because in 1930 he had climbed the highest mountain that had ever been climbed in the world. It was in the Himalayas. He had the world record. Uh, in Germany, mountain climbing is like uh, in baseball, like baseball is in the United States. It is revered. Everybody talks about it. And here he was with an expedition that broke the world record. Um, and so he was this kind of Aryan poster boy in looks, but he was also very anti-Nazi. Um, but he was, he was a mountain man. He was a physicist. He was serious. He was quiet, um, and he was someone who valued, I think, the solitude of nature and the mountains very much. My mother, on the other hand, was this total social animal. Uh, she loved people. She thrived on people. She was charming. She was beautiful. She took the air out of the room when she came in. Uh, she charmed just Anybody who she met, whether this was um, a top Nazi or whether it was the man that she bought meat from in the meat market. I mean, it was, it was uh, quite extraordinary how she just loved people. And she was very much part of Munich's cultural elite. The reason, by the way, the, they had letters is my father was in Stuttgart, uh, another German city, and my mother was in Munich. So the correspondence, which of course was the main way of communication then, was really through letters. So they came from very different worlds. She 
music, art. Uh, she was married to someone who was a music critic who had been killed by the Nazis. Um, and my father was very much nature, solitude, mountain climbing, physics. <laughs> If that gives you a sense. Yes. Well, it's fascinating of having all of that going on, of the, the simple things of life, meeting, falling in love, the beautiful things of life. But in the background is this not only a threat, but there's actually uh, death uh, happening all around them. And of course, there eventually becomes the need for them. They know they have to leave. Yeah, and I mean, they met because my mother had just recently been widowed. Her husband had been killed in something called Night of the Long Knives. And uh, she had been press secretary to a major uh, climbing expedition to the Himalayas where the Germans were set on trying for the first time ever to conquer an 8,000-meter peak. Uh, that was the goal. Uh, in terms of national mountaineering was that can we get to 8,000 meters high? 8,000 meters high, by the way, is about um, a little over 26,000 feet. And nobody had ever done that. There are 14, 14 peaks that are over 8,000 meters high. Of course, the tallest is Everest. Uh, everyone knows that. But the Germans were going to go in 1934 on this very nationalist, nationalistic expedition and show that the Germans were superior. <laughs> they were going to be the first to do this, and instead the expedition ended in tragedy. My father was supposed to be on it, and he, uh, he had actually declined because he felt that it was getting too politicized. It was everything for the Führer. Uh, and so when there was this disaster of 11 mountaineers being killed, um, he consulted with the press secretary, who was my mother, and that's how they met. So they met, as you correctly say, in this era of tragedy. Right, right. Well, we're not going to get into how they get out of Germany. We know they do. Uh, if you want to find out more, you know what to do. <laughs> Just get the book. <laughs> buy but, the book. Buy, yes. Get the book. But yes. they get to America, and it's got to be a relief, but, right? The big but. Now they're in America, but they're from Germany, and he's German. That's right. They're both German. They, they come here in 1938. They have a huge sigh of relief that they are here. And then, you know, there is tremendous anti-German sentiment in this country as the tensions build toward World War II. And of course, by the time World War, by the time America and Germany is in, um, they, they are in war, uh, which is 1941, uh, my parents are regarded as enemy aliens. In spite of the fact that they had left Germany because they had fled Hitler. And my father is dismissed from his job and it, it, um, he had at that point, my mother was a, had, when he married her, was a widow with three children. I had come along at that point. So there were four children to feed and he was without a job or assets. 
Luckily, they again knew somebody influential, not a Nazi in this case, quite the contrary, but someone who was very close to Eleanor Roosevelt. And through her intervention, he was reinstated in his job. So that was... Um, that that was really wonderful and and then after the war he gets recruited to Los Alamos New Mexico to the Atomic City where he is working on top secret uh testing nuclear testing i was very struck with the irony of you know him being distrusted by the american government at one point and then being entrusted uh to work on america's most secret project in terms of nuclear missiles, etc. He um, he was very instrumental in all of that, particularly in starting to measure the effects of high-altitude nuclear testing, which he came out very strongly in congressional testimony. He was summoned to testify in front of Congress. Um, and he came out very much against that, which was a very important precursor to developing a ban on nuclear testing in the world. So, again, I think it was just a, an amazing historical um, context for my parents' lives. We have time for one more question. I think this is significant, and you can explain. Uh, why do you think your mom hid her Jewish background from you oh gosh um you know she had she, I, I think in Ger you know in germany she had started to hide her jewish background she had converted to catholicism in 1921 when she married her first husband but according to hitler's racist racial laws she was still jewish it was in the blood she was jewish and she hid that background, I think, in Germany because it was dangerous to be Jewish in Germany, as, you know, we tragically know. And when she came to this country, there was a lot of anti-Semitism, something also we forget, in, in the 1940s. Uh, so, again, she hid that. So when I found out when I was 14 and confronted her with this, she said, oh, that was in the past. She did not want to talk about it. And my mother, if she didn't want to talk about something, you could not get her to talk about something. And I think that's maybe one of the tragedies of, of or certainly the sadness is maybe not a tragedy, that this older generation did not talk about their own histories. And it was one of the reasons that I wanted to write the book, to bring that to the fore, because I think it is such a universal tale of, and a timeless tale of bravery. So that was very much in my thinking in bring, bringing this story um, to the public in the hopes that they would be able to have some feeling for what happened in the past and what are some of the lessons we might learn from that. The title of the book, Steps of Courage, My Parents' Journey from Nazi Germany to America, the author, Bettina Herlin. And Bettina, tell us how to get your book. Well, you can get it. You can order it through your local bookstore. You can get it on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, AuthorHouse.com. Um, so, and it's in hardback, paperback, and ebook. Thank you, Bettina. Thanks for being with us on Author Talk. Thank you so much. <laughs> 